my family, my family is fascinating. Don't know about your family, but my family is fascinating. In fifth grade, I announced to my family and my class and to anyone who would listen to me that when I became an adult, I was going to run for and get elected president of the United States of America. And my mother promptly pulled me aside and said in a hushed tone, Mark, you can never hold national office. Our family has skeletons. Shh. In the closet. I was in fifth grade. I had no idea what she was talking about. I looked in all the closets. I knew where the Christmas gifts were. I did not see any skeletons. Let's just say there's some interesting things in my family. In my family are Methodist preachers. In my family are mob hitmen. In my family are some of the most godly, humble folks you will ever meet. In my family are some alcoholics who are so full of themselves that after five minutes, you just want to pull your hair out. Isn't family fun? Isn't family fun? My mom's mom, whom I called Nana Angel, my mom and I, all three of us are neat freaks, okay? Uh, when I would go to Nana Angel's house, that's who I called my mom's mother, uh, there were rules. You could not leave a glass on the counter. <gasps> Sirens would go off. You would get in trouble. You would get busted if you left something dirty on the counter. You couldn't do that. No mas, no, no good, no bueno, okay? Um, when my mother would come in and clean my room, even as a kid, I would have to put everything back where it belonged after she had been in my room. I would even measure the fringe of my um, uh, bedspread to make sure it was three fingers from the width of the floor. There's a three-letter abbreviation for that. It's called OCD, okay, OCD. Now, I can't speak to my mom or my mom's mom. I can tell you that for me, I did those things as a way to control my life when my life felt out of control or when I felt high intensity motions on the inside, I would wanna go into a cleaning fest, arranging fest 5,000, okay? Uh, I lived with five of the messiest guys in college my senior year. We shared a house together, okay? And they let me set the living room and kitchen as immaculate all the time. So if one of the guys left their backpack in the living room, I would just pick that backpack up and pluck it onto their bed in their bedroom. Not a single one of those fellas ever challenged me. So when I got married the following year, I had no problem taking Jenny's stuff and putting Jenny's stuff away or moving Jenny's stuff. And let me tell you, she had a problem with that. She had a problem with that. There was a lot of that went on that first year. Um, as a kid, I can remember one Baptist pastor after another coming into our living room trying to convert my mom. And at the time, my mom was not having it. I didn't know growing up that my mom uh, my mom was sent to live with her aunt when she was age two because her mom didn't want to deal with her. I didn't know that my mom's mother was sent to the same woman, her sister, when she was born because her mother didn't want to have to deal with her. Needless to say, there was a lot of stuff going on in my family. There was a lot of stuff going on beneath the surface in my family. And at age 18, I naively thought that when I left home, 
I would leave all of that family stuff behind. <laughs> right? Like, I took that family stuff with me to college. I took that family stuff with me into my marriage. And I took that family stuff with me when we moved to Kentucky in 1992. That's because what happens in one generation often repeats itself in the next generation. If you don't believe me, have kids. At some point in the midst of parenting, you will grab your cheeks and you will say, I've become my mother, or oh my gosh, I'm channeling my dad, because you will say or do something and it will be your parent living life through you and you will think, oh, okay. Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. What he's saying is, you gotta go back to go forward. You gotta understand what's beneath the surface in your family. And that's today's bottom line. Our family influences who we are today. Our family of origin, the people that you grew up with, biological, adopted, it doesn't matter. Your family of origin influences who you are today, often in ways that we're not aware of. Pete Scazzaro puts it this way, when we're born into families, we inherit their ways of relating, their values, and their ways of living in the world. By the way, today's big idea, as all the ideas in this teaching series are taken from his work, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You should buy a copy, you should read it, and then when you read it, you'll go, man, I need to read that again, okay? Because like you, uh, like you and like me, we all have stuff going on in our families. We do. Um, you will find that there's stuff in your family that you take with you into adulthood, that you take with you into your marriage. Um, and, and so it's worth looking at this. By the way, we're gonna peer into the life today of Joseph. Joseph knows what it is to have stuff going on in his family. Don't believe me? Read Genesis. Read Genesis. Joseph faced some of these struggles about family stuff. Joseph is the son of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. That's Joseph's biological, in a sense, family tree through the dads. Um, God will often uh, describe himself in the Old Testament as I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Um, let me highlight a few things about Joseph's family. One, there is a big time pattern of lying. They're a family of liars. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's Joseph's family. Abraham lied to Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah, if you look at their marriage, they're liars. They lie to each other. They lie to other people. Jacob lied to everybody he met. He's a liar. It just lied. Um, 10 of Jacob's sons turn around and lie to him about Joseph's supposed death. There's a pattern of lying that goes on in this family. There's favoritism by one parent. Uh, Abraham favored Ishmael. Uh, Isaac favored Esau. Jacob favored Joseph. There's always one kid that's the loved kid by one particular parent. In every generation, there's a set of siblings, brothers or sisters that are separated and alienated from each other. Uh, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. And then... There's poor intimacy in marriages. Uh, Abraham had a baby with Hagar, thought that would be a great idea. Blew up in his face. 
Isaac had a terrible <laughs> relationship with Rebekah. <clears throat> Maybe the wine had something to do with it. Um, Jacob had two wives and two concubines. Can we agree? That's messed up. That's not going to work the way you think it's going to work. And this is Joseph's family of origin, okay? So when Joseph is born into this family, he was the favored child. His father loved him more than any of the other sons that he had, and all the other sons knew it. So that as Joseph was growing up, Joseph's brothers resented him and their father. Oh, dad loves you best. You know what? Dad stinks, and you stink too for it, right? And that resentment kind of was amplified because Joseph had a couple of flaws. One, he was a tattletale he would rat out his brothers when they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. If you grew up with siblings, you know this is the big rule. Do not rat out your brothers and sisters. And Joseph broke the rule and they hated him all the more for it. And then he had a bit of a chip on his shoulders. He really thought he was better than the rest of them. And we all know how condescending people come across. You just love them and wanna have, no, right? It's terrible, okay? So that led to this moment where Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up serving in a household where he's falsely accused of a crime and subsequently imprisoned. And then he's released and finds himself the vice pharaoh of Egypt, second in command. And all of that takes place over the course of 30 or uh, 13 years, from the time that he was 17 years old to the time that he was 30 years old. And I wanna look at a couple of points in this story. The first is in Genesis chapter 37, verses 14 through 17. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob the father said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. Oh, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing the sheep? Yes, the man told him. They've moved on from here, but I I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. If Joseph hadn't run into this guy, he wouldn't have been sold into slavery that day. Isn't it weird to think of that? Now, maybe they would have gotten around to it another day, but the author is wanting you to see something. The author is wanting you to see that God is at work. God is at work in all of this. It's not just a coincidence that Joseph runs into this guy who directs him to connect up with his brothers who are 14 miles away. It's more than just a coincidence. God is at work. Unlike us, Joseph does a few things. While in those 13 years after he sold into slavery in Genesis 45, verse 8, Joseph says something very, very important. He says, don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph sees and believes that God is at work in his life and in the lives of his family, right? The other thing that Joseph does is he acknowledges his pain uh, honestly. uh, uh, So when Joseph was alone with his brothers, he told them who he was. 
and broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly was carried to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph didn't sweep anything under the rug. He didn't say, oh, it's no problem. It's no big deal. I'm okay. He acknowledged with honesty the grievances that he had with his, with his brothers and with his family. And then lastly, he partnered with God to be a blessing. He understood that because God is at work, God could bring something good out of all of that brokenness. And that's the point of, it was God who brought me here so that everyone could be saved. I wanna look at another key moment in Joseph's life, and this is from Genesis chapter 50, and it's the passage we started off with this morning. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin and treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we're your slaves. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to bring me harm, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Jacob had died, the patriarch. And the brothers are convinced that now that dad is dead, their dastardly deed when they sold their brother into slavery is gonna finally hit the fan. And now nothing in Joseph is gonna be restraining him from doing payback. It's payback time. That's what the brothers think. And so once again, uh, once again, they verbalize their guilt. And once again, Joseph weeps and is overcome with the emotion of the twists and turns that his life took because of it. Once again, Joseph's brothers offer to become uh, his, uh, his slaves. They say, uh, look, we're your slaves. This is kind of ironic from my perspective because way back when Joseph was 16, 17, he had this vision that his brothers would bow down to him and here they are offering to become his slaves. I'm sure that Joseph didn't think that that bowing down and, and to him would actually play out the way it did in his life. I think Joseph was surprised at how that all played out. Joseph, like all of us, took family stuff with him to Egypt. And he took family stuff with him up to the moment where he forgave his brothers. He's a mixed bag. On the one hand, he had a chip on his shoulders. On the other hand, he had the wherewithal to flee the seduction of a powerful woman. The point of the text isn't Joseph's character. It isn't a, hey, be like Joseph. The point of the text is that God is at work in Joseph's life. God is at work in Joseph's family. God is at work in your life. God is at work in your family, even right now. Do you have eyes to see it? Do you have eyes to see it? Let me ask a few questions in light of Joseph. The first question is, how would you describe the family atmosphere you grew up in? 
If you could only use two or three words, how would you describe the family atmosphere you grew up in? Affirming, complaining, critical, approachable, angry, tense, competitive, close, distant, fun, serious. How would you describe the atmosphere of your family that you grew up in? And then, are there any pains in your life waiting to be acknowledged and grieved? Are there any pains in your life that are waiting to be acknowledged and grieved? Let me suggest some ways to kind of live this out and lean into this. Uh, one, you could make a genogram of your family and share it with a trusted friend. And you're like, what's a genogram? I'll post a link on Facebook later today. Here's a genogram of the Skywalker family. I know some of you are nerds and that you're into Star Wars and I can't help that. Convert you as I may to Star Trek. So you may have seen the movies and thought to yourself, man, Kylo Ren is so messed up. Kylo Ren is so tormented. What's going on inside of poor Kylo Ren? Well, look at his family. <laughs> There's some family stuff going on behind, beneath the surface. A genogram maps your family, but, but also maps out the relationships that got broken apart, the people who don't speak to each other anymore, uh, some of the bigger things that can be part of your family, like maybe alcoholism or OCD or pick any number of issues. And you can kind of see, oh, there's patterns here, right? It's just a way to kind of open your eyes to what's going on in your family, okay? So one thing that you could do is make a, make a genogram of your family and share it with your spouse or your trusted friend. And if your spouse is sharing their genogram with you, this is not your opportunity to go, well, I'm glad you finally see it, <laughs> right? That's not helpful. <laughs> so just listen in a supportive way, okay? But here's, here's something I would say to you. Recognize when you do this, one of the things that I hope that you see is that some of the things that your parents said and did that you believe hurt you weren't necessarily because they wanted to, you know, cut you. It's because of what was handed to them, right? They really did not, it's not a reflection of their love for you. Um, I'm gonna tell you right now that knowing my mom's bigger story was a big liberating thing for me in understanding my childhood, her childhood, and some other things in our family, okay? So make a genogram of your family. Maybe you're better off than Team Skywalker. I don't know, okay? The second thing is list the messages that you received from each of your parents. I'm keenly aware of this as a dad. I'm giving messages to my kids all the time, both what I say out of my mouth and then what I kind of live with my life. Oh, talk about the weight of that stuff, right? So there are messages that we receive from our parents. Um, some of the things that I've heard from people over the years, uh, my dad always told me, don't be weak. Don't let them see weakness. Um, don't cry. Uh, my mom would say to me, because she had three different husbands, honey, you just can't trust people and you can't trust men, right? These, these are the kind of messages that we can get. Um, turn that frown upside down. Come on, let's be happy, honey. Come on, be happy, be happy. Smile for daddy, smile for mommy. 
but I'm sad. Smile right now. Okay. Um, there's the things where uh, uh, one of the messages you can receive is education is everything. You receive that message when you bring your report card and you've got uh, six A's and one B. And the thing that your parent says is, what's this B here? And all of a sudden, you know, oh, oh, you'll love me if I get all A's. Okay, try harder. Okay, so these are kind of the messages that play out. Or in sports, the way it is is, how come you didn't make varsity? I think if you just worked a little harder, you could have been on varsity this year. Come on, son, right? Okay, so list the messages that you received from your parents, but then compare them to the messages from Jesus and his family. It's good that you exist. You're lovable. You're enough. You're a joy. You have nothing left to prove. Your needs are a delight, not a burden. You can make mistakes. God's love for you is not based on your performance. There's a reason that we have a cross in our sanctuary. Jesus lived the life that we should live and died the death that we deserve. Through Jesus Christ, God looks at us and is well-pleased, right? This is what Paul teaches us in his letters. The last thing is your biological family of origin does not determine your future. When you and I become members of God's family, when we're made new in Christ Jesus, we're adopted into Jesus' family, right? And we're, we're given a new nature and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us to change us from the inside out. Uh, in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that we're adopted, that we have an inheritance and that God sees us holy and without fault. Um, I want to share with you something an Hasidic rabbi said on his deathbed, um, and it's the most amazing thing, okay? Uh, this Hasidic rabbi uh, wrote this down as he was dying, and this, is, this was his conclusion about his life. When I was young, I set out to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived this was too ambitious. So I set out to change my state. This too, I realized as I grew older was a bit too ambitious. So I set out to change my town. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. Now as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. If I'd started with myself, maybe I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, or even the state, and who knows, maybe even the world, if I had started with myself. When you go back when you acknowledge and grieve and forgive, you give the Holy Spirit space inside of you to make something new, to change your family tree. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like in 2020 for God to have, to, for God to influence who you are more than your family influences who you are? What would that mean? You know what I think it would mean, according to what the scripture tells us? It would be a blessing. It would be a blessing because God wants to bless the nations through you, through what God is doing in you as he blesses you.